Hello, and welcome to The Shrieking Shack. This is a podcast for lapsed Harry Potter fans. I'm ZZ. And I'm Liz. And Liz, I have a question for you. Sure. How do you feel about slime? Oh, is it slime time? Oh, it's slime time. Fell down the rabbit hole after after we uh, ran out of era-appropriate documentaries to watch. We... No, wait, okay, hang on. I gotta stop this. Uh, I'm gonna do a timeout here. We found so much good shit we completely forgot about the bonkers Hugh Laurie documentary. Oh. Oh, God, we... Oh... Slime time is on pause for a second, because before we get into that, we do need to talk about uh, this cash grab documentary we watched about, uh, it wasn't really about anything. It was just sort of like a laundry list of like vague Harry Potter facts and other facts that you could extrapolate from them. Like uh, Gringotts is a bank in London. Do you know what else is in London? Real banks. Like, really? Really? Yeah, I mean... This seems to be like a popular genre when talking about Harry Potter. And to be fair, I think this stuff is like all pretty cool because, you know, J.K. Rowling used a lot of names and pulled from popular folklore, did not make it all up. And so there's there was just kind of this wave of like books and documentaries that were like, here's the real story behind, you know. Yeah, banks. we learned... <laughs> yeah um it was very very bad uh like you know the documentaries we watched last week were not great but they were like authorized uh you know actual pieces about harry potter and jk rowling whereas this i'm pretty sure i looked this up i'm pretty sure this was like a direct to vhs thing that you would see in like toy stores or something oh that uh, makes sense it sure seemed yeah. like it would be that because it, it it looks like it, it's narrated by Hugh Laurie, which like seems like a pretty big get, but all it is is like, like, uh, wiki articles. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be wiki in two thousand one, but you know, just like the the basic encyclopedia entries for like Nicholas Flamel and uh, goblins and witches. It was really funny. Um, so I guess. You know, I guess the stuff we watched the week before maybe wasn't the worst of the worst. Um, although none of them had anything as amazing as this documentary's CGI representation of Quidditch. Oh my god. Yeah, that's my new Twitter header if anyone wants to check it out. Yeah, um, they, they have a beautiful breakdown of, uh, of the rules of Quidditch uh, that finally I understand it, I think. I think this has finally cleared it up for me. It's a complicated game, but I think, I think I'm close to, to getting it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the, this one was, it was very funny because it was, you know, it went through and did like, you know, there are ghosts in Harry Potter. Well, we're going to tell you a ghost story from the real world. Um, but it teases the Nicholas Flamel thing until the end. It's like, we've got, we've got the real story of Nicholas Flamel. <laughs> he owned a restaurant. <laughs> um, I was a little vindicated because I think this is the one where they talk to a um, 
uh, like a headmaster at a boarding school and he kind of and it's like the explanation of houses in oh yeah yeah in British boarding schools and and he kind of has this I can't remember exactly what he says but he's like you know I wouldn't put all the students of, of the same type together I might try to mix them up and I, <laughs> I felt really vindicated by um, when we talked about Slytherin and probably not a yeah. great idea to put all the fashions <laughs> together in your school yeah uh i really like that guy um also i uh i do like that their um their big their big reveal for the nicholas flamel thing is that uh alchemy was real which like you know duh that was a real historical thing but also he they they like have this dramatic reveal of like his gravestone and then a building he owned at one point and then they talk to like a restaurant owner who owns it now and he's like uh it is my restaurant now but uh when it was him it was for free like really just <laughs> like a fun fact like you could come get it for free there but now you don't now it's now it's money yep that's yep yeah Can't it was live good forever in there anymore and they and they do that whole thing at the end where they're like who knows maybe nicholas flamel is still alive and he's and there's that fucking fantastic photoshop of like the illustration of him in a crystal ball oh yeah, uh, yeah that's very so, quality. okay i i just i felt like we really needed we, we found so much good stuff this week uh yeah, and, and so I guess like setting the scene. So you're at at the at Toys R Us, you know, sad it's gone now. But you're at Toys yeah. R Us, and and you see this you know direct to VHS documentary, and you pick that up at the same time that you pick up your slime time, <laughs> your slime time place slime chamber. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh I, I was looking, I was looking just for like, what are some good, I fell, fell down this rabbit hole of like, you know, early Harry Potter toys. Uh, and this one, I, th I think was for, technically for Chamber of Secrets. So we're skipping ahead a bit, but it was so ridiculous that I had to, uh, um, I had to investigate this thing and I'll, I'll play the clip. Your adventures of Harry Potter continue in the slime chamber. Imagine, Malfoy has trapped Harry. I've got you now, Potter. Guess again. Now, Ron, the slime chamber will take care of you. Ugh, I've been slimed. Try my red slime. Ugh. Lumos, slime is more powerful in the dark, Malfoy. Next time, the slime chamber will get you. Slime chamber playset with glow-in-the-dark slime gel. You put it together, figure it out separately with colored slime. It is a weird ritualistic looking chamber that you put action figures in and dump slime on slime. It comes in like these little jars. Okay. Apparently this is a huge thing. We did some, like, I guess this was a big thing for like figure action figures in the eighties. I did not know that like sliming your toys was a, was a, but did you ever encounter this as a kid? No, no, I, I don't. I, I had never heard of this. I guess I can remember like those play chemistry sets that you might have made slime in, but the like the mechanism of like setting up your slime and then dumping it on your action figures, I missed completely. It's it's looks like really like I hate to say this about like a children's toy, but it looks really fetishistic. Like it Yeah, the YouTube comments on these reviews does not help. 
<laughs> yeah, they're all just like, ooh, beautiful slime, and ooh, can you put this figure? What was the one about uh, having the Ginny action figure lying face down or whatever? Like, yeah, just really just like in the in the movie, because we know that scene where you know Harry shows up in the slime chamber, and <laughs> Ginny is lying, you know, face down on the ground, and and Tom Riddle. Uh, pops out of his out of his diary and he says harry it's slime time <laughs> yeah the uh or, or as draco malfoy says in the in the commercial uh next time i'll get or was it like next time i'll slime you or it's very good it's, <laughs> um yeah i harry potter toys were weird like the action figures i just remember the action figures all looking really fucked up at the time and the there's like a mechanized Hogwarts that a friend of mine had that like had a little book that if you pressed it, it would like play like a stock sound effect of a scream. Uh, Very cool. It, um, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Nothing as beautiful as the as the gorgeous slime dripping all over my helpless action figures. It, I, I, I don't know if, if, if you or anyone anyone you know if you're listening to this and you like had or knew someone who was into the whole slime toy thing please let us know because it, i've never heard of it and it's insane it kind of reminds me of those um like sensory instagram accounts that just have videos of like using that um like kinetic sand or oh, like yeah, playing yeah. with slime or all of these things and it just it that's what it reminds me of because it's like oh that slime that looks so great like on these objects um, yeah so maybe that's what it is and if that's the case and these slime people are like buying these weird old toys to get their like slime fix like go to instagram look up these accounts there's a lot of content out there there yeah you can get adult slime now you don't it doesn't have to be harry potter yeah and it's it's like this very it's old slime because they have to get it from you know, oh that was whatever. yeah there's all the comments on this video marveling at how the uh the mattel slime from the night or from like 2000 or whatever is still so good and drips off these figures really well not slime like holds the, up. yeah the slime hey when when slime is good slime is good um but speaking of adult toys uh we did also find a wonderful review of a like star ace like a really fancy like toy doll maker uh and it's like a completely normal like toy review like you know like any one of these uh uh you know kind of like unboxing review channel things would have except it's a it's a re it's a review of the of the, this doll of uh dumbledore and the guy just keeps on saying albus dumbledorf i so genuinely earnestly love this video it's so good i think this is my new favorite video today's collectible spot we are having a look at the stories harry potter and the sorcerer's stone albus dumbledorf the dumbledorf albus dumbledorf like I can't tell if it's a bit he's doing, but I don't think it is because every like I clicked around in some of his other stuff and he says everything like like just fine like like not and it's not like an accent thing because he is just saying every time Albus Dumbledore. 
like really emphasizing it too. There's a moment where he says, Albus, Dumbledore, and Fock. Yeah, yeah, yes, he does. Like, and like to he also says like Fox normally later on, but but it is Albus Dumbledore and Fock. Yeah, it's Dumbledore the whole time, and I just I love this so much. It's it's my favorite genre of of like just weird YouTube video. That's like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just really like funny in a very mundane way i guess because it keeps happening like it's like a 20 minute video he said dumbledorf so much that i went and looked at another review of his from like a year later where he was saying double door which is like another piece of like interesting lore here because none of the comments on this first video first of all say you're saying it wrong like no one told him that as far as i can tell right and if um, i know one thing about youtube comments it's like you make one mistake and all of the comments are that. We watched another video of um, this like delightful like loot crate unboxing, and it oh yeah, one tiny tiny part. Someone says that Pigwidgeon is Ginny's owl when it's actually Ron's, and you scroll down, and it's just it's just uh, hundreds. It's probably an exaggeration, but it's just a wall of comments. It's like uh, you don't know anything about Harry Potter. It's actually Ron's owl. But this one in this twenty-minute video where this guy says Dumbledore the entire time, all of the comments are like, "Great figure, looks great." Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> Uh, which makes so me think good. it's like a bit like I was like there's no way this isn't a joke I'm not in on especially because there's this comical part where he's holding the figure and he holds up the stand and it says plan is day Albus Dumbledore and he says yep Albus Dumbledore <laughs> like I yeah if it's a bit it's like a master craft just like completely deadpan thing because he never I like I don't know. He never leans into it. He he just says for twenty minutes, Albus Dumbledore. Uh, but but like he said it enough that like I saw another video of his where he was saying Dumbledore on another figure, and like it just sounded wrong to me. And I don't so think disappointing. I I'm never gonna get over this. Like like now to me he is Albus Dumbledore, and that's just how how it is. Yeah, I I believe in Albus Dumbledore and Fock. I'll I'll link to the video because like first of all like I, I'm I'm not trying to like rag on the guy I think it is like a good review he's got like a lot of subscribers he's clearly passionate about like the toy review thing but it's just so surreal hearing Albus Dumbledore so much while it's right like like the box is in front of him the whole time as well it's 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 kind of delightful yeah the thing is is if if you manage to watch this video because we did we watched all twenty minutes of it. Um, which I think is impressive. Mm -hmm. And by the end, it's Dumbledore. You're like, it was always Dumbledore. Yeah, it's like the Berenstain thing. Like, like DAE used to think that it used to be Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a delight. I would encourage anyone that has 20 minutes to sit through this and um, let Dumbledore become you. Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. I guess that's our, um, those are our positive uh, news items that's, this yeah, week. Yeah, that's our fun bit. That's the fun bit. Now we're going to get into some real shit. Mm, yeah. I, I browse the news sometimes. 
and I encountered two opinion pieces in on actually the same day, which I think was a couple days ago. Yeah. And it's about the uh, March for Our Lives. Uh, and before I start this, I just want to say that I do support it. And yeah, I, yeah. like just like plain as day, very clear. I support everyone who is who is in these marches and is protesting and uh, and that's all wonderful. Um, these are opinion pieces that are essentially like and that, well, there was one on CNN and there's one on the BBC. And it's it's like how Harry Potter inspired the Parkland generation. Yeah, it's um, yeah, because it's 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 here's the thing. It's nothing to do with the content of the because it you know it has photos of like protesters that have harry potter themed signs there are a couple of quotes from people uh that like you know mentioned being inspired by harry potter like that's parts fine the weird part of these articles and like there were some twitter threads too like this i mean this honestly like even before the march like this was one of the key inspirations for this podcast even was people venerating you know pop culture uh, pillars in, in this very strange way it's the way that these articles both the take them their main takeaway is not here are some activists who also are inspired by harry potter it's isn't it good that harry potter exists and made these activists which i just think is like the most wrong-headed way to go about this Right. And it's, it's this kind of like good thing Harry Potter was around to install a moral compass yeah. in these kids. And I think that that just doesn't give them enough credit. And um, I, I feel like the CNN one is um, the CNN one. It's, it's called Harry Potter inspired the Parkland generation. And it starts off with just like a doozy of a sentence. And I, I, this, I mean, this is an opinion piece, but it says after the 2016 election, I was bewildered by many things. One of them was how 41% of millennials voted for Trump when they had been raised on Harry Potter. And I don't know what that means. Like all millennials read Harry Potter and therefore must be like middle of the road liberals. Like it's one it's what I, I think it's great. Um, the protesters that have Harry Potter signs and, and use this as like a source of of strength and inspiration that's wonderful um and there's even like a quote from um a teen in this article that um is just way better than anything else and um it's saying essentially and i'm like paraphrasing here um that like the the or, or the conclusion i guess i drew was that the moral lessons that they're being sold in their media, they aren't being given in real life. And I like agree right. with that. And I think that's a like a great, a great statement that this weird takeaway that Harry Potter like installed this in them is just not giving them enough credit. I don't think. Well, not giving them enough credit and, and just kind of like insulting to their intelligence as if like the, overwhelming you know evidence that like you know our that gun laws are a nightmare problem like aren't enough to inspire them like it had to be this story that the author also likes which is just like a really i don't know it it, it bothers me and it's specifically the 
the framing i think this is the cnn one uh this quote that i pulled which is a longer quote from the end of the article that's sort of like their their uh their thesis here i guess which is the harry potter books are fiction there are no wizards and witches among us there's no such thing as hogwarts or diagon alley and king's cross has no platform nine and three quarters but the stories have meaning and they map onto real life experiences of their readers because that's what good stories do we connect to them see ourselves in them and learn from them okay fair enough so far so good and sometimes these stories are also blueprints so if the students rallying against mass shootings in the nra and the spineless politicians who buy into its agenda want to use harry potter as their blueprint well they've got a great one like this isn't a endorsement of like a political ideology this is just someone who feels validated that harry potter is the thing that these kids like like yeah like is like who cares like they could be inspired by fucking Paul Blart Mall Cop for all I care. Like, like you know, if 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 your if your takeaway is like, oh, thank God these kids like something that I also like. It, it, I, don't, I don't know. That just really irritates me. And like, it's this weird intellectualization of like a shared, like, oh, you also saw and read this like multi billion dollar pop culture phenomenon. Like, okay. Yeah, it kind of like reads almost like a "you're welcome" to me. Like, yeah. it's like you're welcome, kids, that we we gave you this this huge like media empire to inspire you. And it's also funny because now that you point that out at, at the end, there is like um, the quote that I really liked from the teen who was a a 15 year old Parkland survivor said, we've grown up with teenagers in dystopian eras that have fixed everything and become heroes of their city. Then they put us into a dystopian era in real life and they don't expect us to do anything. We can make a difference because that's what books and movies have told us since we were little. Um, I'm not saying that Harry Potter isn't dystopian, but that sounds a lot more like the hunger games to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a reach, claiming that one for Harry Potter. And also just the idea that you have to claim, I don't know, like these these activists onto your like your pop culture team is just so weird. Like this, I mean, this all went down with Star Wars this uh, last year as well. Uh, this idea that like, because a piece of media like vaguely agrees with you that that is where all your political, um, you know, activity comes from which i just think is just it's just insulting especially as you say like it's a it has this condescending like you're welcome tone because you know this writer and most of i would say like you know harry potter like like the biggest fans or the not the biggest fans the longest running fans now have been people our age not these teenagers so it's like who like they're a second generation of, of of fan coming to this thing you can't take that don't take that from them don't 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 take the credit for their activism uh because you like the same book like that just that's that just really bothers me yeah no yeah i agree with that i i just think it takes on such a weird tone that it doesn't need to and um I guess the idea that kids take moral lessons from stories isn't new. I mean, like that's. I, no. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of this conversation has just been a little bit bizarre and, and it seems to have been like, like when we started this, 
there was so much, you know, like Donald Trump is Voldemort and there's just all of that running around and this feels like that kind of coming to a head almost. Yeah, like that that being taken seriously as critique, which is just weird. And also the other thing is that I don't think it's I don't think it's true that like Harry Potter fans have to be you know liberal or left wing or whatever because like for as many uh you know, okay because I mean for a lot of things mass media and I'm like I know I sound like a crank here but mass media <laughs> m- most of mass media is political ink blot tests because rocking the boat too much means fewer sales and like you know video games aren't going to make uh uh you know firm political statements when there are millions of dollars on the line movies aren't either uh there are so many conservative harry potter fans who view the books as an indictment of liberal society like i mean you you know you linked that the, the, that image of hillary clinton photoshopped onto professor umbridge and like you look at any video of emma watson uh you know, you'll see millions of comments on YouTube and shit of, of people going like, ugh, can't believe that, you know, this smart girl became this awful feminist screech, you know? And it's like, people see what they want to see in media a lot of the time. And like, unless you do like a, you know, not everyone's doing a deep read, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that there was some kind of... uh I don't know. I, I never saw like the original study or if there was one, but a lot of the like what I presume were news articles taken from an abstraction of a study being like, well, Harry Harry Potter readers are more likely to be liberal. And I I feel like that I feel like I've seen that just like taken and run with without stopping to kind of look at that and, and be like, okay, well what does that mean exactly? Yeah. And I'll have to look up the study and I'll, I'll get back to you about that at some point. Um, this is not the first and only time we're going to cover this topic. I'm sure. No, no. Cause it's just, it's just going to keep coming up. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it, it's sad to see these takes and um, I, I guess I will run it back one more time to say that uh, the people that are out protesting and their activism, if they're out there with their Dumbledore or Dumbledore's army signs, more power to them. Totally. Yeah. The, the, the activism itself is not the issue for it is the pretending that liking the same book is activism, I think is the, the thing that bothers me the most here. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of reading books. Oh boy. So we did three chapters this week yeah big read um and what i didn't realize that was that i was giving us a quidditch sandwich (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh so i guess i will get right into our reading Mm. So today, we're starting with chapter 11, which is named Quidditch and is the first uh, the first slice of bread on our Quidditch sandwich here. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think of the Quidditch game? Um, 
Okay, just one one thing before we get into the Quidditch chapter here, uh, or the Quidditch game rather, because I will say the beginning of the Quidditch chapter is very very cute. Uh, it's the, um, it starts with like the kind of slice of life stuff that I really like, but there is one quote here that stuck out to me, um, that I've highlighted, and and maybe you know what I've highlighted here. Uh, <laughs> She had also lent him Quidditch through the ages, which turned out to be a very interesting read. <laughs> Fuck you. No, it wasn't. That is not an interesting book. I think that Quidditch through the ages came out when I was at the height of my Harry Potter fandom. I should look up what year that came out originally. Um, where I, I just wanted to, I was eating up any Harry Potter content I could, official or unofficial. So when Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Quidditch Through the Ages came out, I was so excited. And I think even at the time, I had a tough time getting through Quidditch Through the Ages. Yeah, I have the same experience where I, I actually really liked the Fantastic Beasts book. Uh, but the Quidditch one, I just, mm, mm, no. Yeah. But yeah, there's um, some there's some cute stuff in this chapter before we get into the game. Like there's uh, there's a lot of like very nice pastoral winter scenes of them, you know, walking around as friends. There's the very cute scene of uh, uh, Hermione um, kind of bending the rules a little bit around them and like having the blue flame in a jar, uh, and, like hiding that from Snape when he walks up. It's just that I love that stuff. Like like. Like, we still are getting very, very good character development moments in this before uh, we have to read pages upon pages of Quidditch. Yeah, and I think even the stuff going up to the Quidditch game was really sweet. I liked that, um, I think it was Dean that it said, there's that line where it's like, Dean was good at drawing, so he drew a lion on the banner they brought to to cheer Harry on, and Oh, that stuff is so great. The uh, Hermione had performed a tricky little charm, so the paint flashed different colors. Like, it's just... These kids have such a good friendship already. It's so cute. It's really sweet. And um, there's, there's like, a lot of stuff. I, I didn't remember how much some of the other Gryffindors, like Dean, are brought up. Yeah. Um, as, like, being a friend of Harry's and going to his game and cheering him on. So that was really sweet. Um, as far as the Quidditch game goes... Yeah, then we have to actually read the Quidditch, which... Blah. It is so uh, funny to me how much this chapter, like, roasts Quidditch constantly. Yeah! Constantly. It is It is not shy from pointing out what a bad game it is. It's so weird. Like, like from the get-go, this, like, oh, it's, like, this great spectator sport, but everyone was wearing binoculars because they can't fucking see anything. Yep, can't can't see shit. Uh, so, so we're all we all have binoculars like glued to us. Um, there's the part where, um, I, I, like, so the plot thing that happens right is is that Harry's broom goes crazy and um, Hermione has to set Snape on fire to you know stop it from happening. Um, but while the broom is going crazy in the air, everyone's like really worried about Harry. Like, Oh, I hope Harry doesn't fall and die. Um, but the captain of the Slytherin team uh, <laughs> scores five times without anyone noticing, like during this time. And it just doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. 
it doesn't like it doesn't matter uh like that no one i guess you don't stop play in in quidditch i guess um when when a player's injured or whatever uh i think the main like before we get into some like the real details here i would just like to point out that the the beginning of the chapter we have this you know these these few scenes we have uh harry and, and hermione and ron hanging out outside that is a page we have harry coming across quirrell uh and and snape and like bandaging snape's leg that is two pages um the quidditch game is uh starting with oliver wood's speech is one two three four five six <laughs> seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen pages Oh my god. It sure felt like it. Yeah. It really, really did. Um, two of those pages are taken up that it, with like one massive dialogue box that is just commentary. Yeah. Um, probably the worst worst part I have suffered through yet. And I think that this, this stuff is all like a joke. And it's also just a, the only joke in the book so far that didn't land with me at all. Like this, yeah. like, it's Lee Jordan, right? That's the, the commentator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know where this is going. And he's super biased toward Gryffindor. And I get it. Like Slytherin is fouling them the whole time. And it's this weird back and forth between Lee Jordan and McGonagall, like, saying, you know, Lee, stop being so biased. Or, like, don't say that shit or whatever. Yeah. And and I and I get that it's like a joke and it just doesn't land with me at all. I I just well, don't find it interesting or funny or it's it's that and also like like the joke that really whiffed for me was like his obsession with Angelina Johnson. Oh god, I I scrubbed that from my mind. <laughs> um Yeah, that that's just like inappropriate i guess like i don't know like just like maybe have someone else do the commentary at that point if he's just like hitting on uh the 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 star player over the loudspeaker like that's just ugh, it was a little weird yeah it's and, and i get it's supposed to be just kind of this lighthearted jokey joke part but it uh was both not very funny to me and just like kind of boring and a little bit weird so do you think like do you think this was intentionally meant, like, or like Quidditch was intentionally meant to be like a, a like criticism of sports, or or is it just bad? Like, this is what I can't wrap my head around. With I, if I had to guess, I would say I don't think that she cares about Quidditch at all, or at least didn't when she was writing this. Like, I don't think the game was the important part. Why we got that very long sequence of Lee Jordan saying, like, giving us a play-by-play of what's happening, I have no idea. Yeah, it's... Because, like, there's part of me that wonders, like, okay, is is all this stuff about the sport... Like, all these parts, parts where the sport clearly makes no sense and, like, is, like, a terrible inconvenience to watch and or, like, follow at all. Like, is this just her ribbing sports fans? Is this just a joke about how uh esoteric and and weird sports are as an outsider because from that perspective i can kind of see it but i don't think it's intentional yeah i don't really i i think that that's like probably a valid reading of it i don't i don't really see it though because i feel like um the, the like purpose of it 
is everything except for the game itself. It's yeah. all of the fanfare. It's all of the, you know, excitement and school spirit and uh, the, the culture. And I don't think that it's a critique of that. I think that the game in this circumstance just doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we got Quidditch through the ages eventually. And I feel like, I mean, we're, we're reading this at a really good time because Pottermore, my favorite website, has yeah. been putting out all of these Quidditch features to celebrate the like audiobook release of Quidditch through the ages. And I have like this kind of conspiracy theory, I guess, that when when J.K. Rowling was writing Quidditch originally for this first book, the game like didn't matter at all. Um but then as she was like world building and people started taking everything that happens in the book super serious it was like oh shit i have to develop this mm -hmm. um and i don't think it was developed well um but i also just, i just don't care about quidditch like i just can't it's just not like like fundamentally the game is stupid enough that i like i can't even like in an imaginary sense get into it you know yeah um and well. I'm not like a, I'm not, a, I'm not a sports fan. Like typically I, I like vaguely know the rules of most of the popular American sports. Um, but I do, I do appreciate like competitiveness and, and games in general. Um, and this doesn't work as a game really. Right. Like the game is, is silly enough that like, any time a character is like seen getting like earnestly serious about it, it's just weird. Cause like, I, like I said, I can't tell if this is meant to be a critique or like a serious thing or I, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's not fun to read. This is the, this is the first chapter I read so far in this book going just like, ah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably the weakest part. I, if I had to guess, it's probably the weakest part of the entire book. Um, but I still don't think the game matters. Like, I think, I think it serves its purpose, like everything that surrounds it. I think it, um, uh, all the stuff with Hermione going and, and saving Harry works really well. Like everything that yeah. happens that moves the plot forward is great. Um, I love the, the payoff with like the blue fire that she had before that you mentioned that she used. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, I love the line out. Mm -hmm. sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. I was just saying you could cut out all of the sports stuff and then leave that stuff and it would still be fine. Yeah. Um, but I also think this, like, I feel like the sports stuff was supposed to be a joke insofar as I think the game was supposed to be a joke. And that's why we got the weird, like Lee Jordan commentary stuff that didn't land mm -hmm. with me anyway. Um, I, I liked the line where, you know, Hermione knocks over Quirrell on her way to get to, like, set Snape on fire. Mm -hmm. um, I'm mixing up my Quidditch games since we got two of them. So let me just oh, yeah. glance. This this isn't the, the Quidditch match where Ron gets into a brawl. No, no, that's the... I think that's the second one. Yeah, yes, that's the second one. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I I think this I think this works fine. Like the plot stuff is all fine, but the Quidditch game just drags. 
Well, it, it's it it also ends with my favorite uh, my favorite thing in this book now, where you know they're all celebrating after the game and they're in Hagrid's hut, and Hagrid just drops another important plot point for Harry <laughs> to pick up. Which is just like how the like I've noticed like how this book works now is that like there's a mystery they can't figure it out they go to Hagrid's hut and he accidentally tells them which it's really stupid but it like it works like it, like it, Hagrid is a fun enough character by this point and like the fact that they're all kids I think makes it uh it makes it work that they're just sort of being handed the answers to everything um like i'm not i'm not worked up about them not doing like actual detective work or whatever it's just super funny that like they go to his hut again and he's like oh how do you know about fluffy like oops like (laughs) yeah so because this is when we first see um well the second time we see the name nicholas flamel but the first time we didn't know that it was a a plot point um i will say that while we're talking about hagrid i um when harry's uh, Broom was going, you know, crazy. Uh, Hagrid is the one that says that a student can't have, um, like, cursed the broom because nothing inter- can interfere with a broomstick except powerful dark magic. No co- kid could do that to a Nimbus 2000. Um, and I just, I wish I knew more about what Hagrid knows about <laughs> magic. Because he got kicked out of school third year. yeah. And I just, I just, I highlighted this line and, and I, I don't think it's like unreasonable for him to know this. Um, but you want to know where he picked that knowledge up. Yeah. And also um, I expected to find like some extensive like broom info online and why they're like hard to tamper with or whatever. And there's, there's very little out there. Like I couldn't uh, yeah. find much about that. Like, I was thinking, like, you know, if if brooms are, like, maybe the Wizarding World equivalent of cars, maybe they're just, like, kind of confusing. But, like, yeah, there's nothing... For for as much information as Pottermore has about, like, who won the World Cup in 1473, it doesn't really have much about, like, how the brooms work. Do you think that, like, the teachers did an investigation about what happened? I... You know, the more of harry potter we get into i think the less sense it's gonna make how little the teachers and dumbledore look into stuff because let's not forget that like all this is happening and also there has been a like evil hitler chamber in the bottom of the school that you get into from the bathroom (laughs) that's just been there for like decades that like no one's really looked into it was just a myth yeah, so I'm going to say probably not. Like, maybe McGonagall, like, went to Dumbledore and was like, hey, what the fuck happened there? And he was like, oh, I'm Albus Dumbledore. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Hagrid says that it could only be powerful dark magic. Well, that's yeah. concerning. <laughs> yeah, Someone well, tried he, to like, murder Harry him... Potter. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, like, like, like he makes them tea immediately afterwards and like they're just sort of casually talking about like oh i nearly died and he doesn't he doesn't bring it up to harry then that it could only be like a dark wizard like i don't know maybe you didn't want to scare him or something but like that that sure seems like important information <laughs> maybe more important than name dropping nicholas flamel yeah um and at this point i think it still it still works well because a big theme oh, yeah. in the book is that the adults in harry's life are like bumbling at best and 
useless also yeah um yeah so that's fine uh but it but it is very silly especially because there's like a huge broom investigation when he gets his firebolt oh that's right i forgot about that but we don't we wouldn't want to investigate this powerful dark magic that tried to kill him on a school campus yeah that's no big deal no that's fine do you have anything else about quidditch the chapter quidditch the chapter quidditch no i like you said i think i think all of the plot movement stuff i think you know i i do think that the the stuff with hermione and ron thinking it's snape uh and her bumping into quirrell like the the clue laying continues to be really clever in this uh and i think all that stuff's great but just having to read 14 pages of this dumb sport definitely the low point so far Yes, I I agree with that. Um, we will move on to chapter 12, which is the meat of our Quidditch sandwich. Mm. Um, and to start, I think this might be premature. I think chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised, might be the best chapter in this book. Yeah, there's a real hard swing here between the Quidditch chapter and Mirror of Erised, which I really, really enjoyed. Um. Just like a quick summary of the events in this chapter. It's Christmas time. Um, one of the clues that I don't think we'll bring up again is that that Hagrid gives Harry a flute, which I think is what he uses to get past Fluffy later. Um, mm-hmm. Harry gets his invisibility cloak on Christmas. Um, he goes and finds the Mirror of Erised. Uh, keeps going back to it. Dumbledore explains what it is, and then the chapter is over. Um and like you were saying, this this chapter is kind of like a, I mean, it's like set up as just a, a story kind of on its own with a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And it works yeah, really I, well. I, I love it. It, I, I, desc- I think I described it to you as almost like being a Star Trek episode in the middle of this. Yeah. Because it, it's like this short story with a beginning, middle, and end and its own theme uh and like very it's a it's a it's a very sweet morality tale um i love it i i mean and 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 first of all not just the um the conclusion of it and and the you know the mirror itself but i love its depiction of christmas for both the weasleys who have a huge family and harry who has none i think that's Mm -hmm. such a sweet scene um uh it's 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 really cute reading all of the you know the the gifts that like some of the adults in his life have sent him the fact that the dursley sent him 50 pence is really funny to me (laughs) um i don't know how they mailed that to hogwarts but hey um and uh all the stuff with like you know ron moaning about his sweater but harry really appreciating that molly made him a sweater all that stuff is so like this is cheesy but it it really has a a true christmas vibe to it like it like this this has that uh very cozy family feel and i i was really really charmed by this yeah it does read like a christmas story i didn't really um put that together until you said it but it kind of it has 
you know, it wraps up very nicely. Um, it's got the the Christmas, the cozy Christmas vibes, and it also just has that simple kind of moral lesson in mm-hmm. it. Um, I think that for me, this chapter is the most emblematic of things that I've enjoyed about Harry Potter reading as an adult versus as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't think I liked this chapter as a kid because I, I was, I wanted, I wanted to know who Nicholas Flamel was, right? Like I, <laughs> like you're like, as a kid, you're like very invested in the, um, the, the mystery and um, yeah. kind of the magic. And this is um, kind of a like somber story that just gets stuck in the middle of the book here. Um, yeah. And so I think that that was a big difference for me. And the other thing, um, like as a kid, my favorite character was probably Hermione. And in this read through, especially in this chapter, I think my char- my favorite character might be Ron. Um, yeah. I was not interested in Ron at all as a kid, I don't think. Like I, I just didn't care that much. But um, there's just this incredibly sweet moment where Harry comes back and is telling Ron about this mirror that he found. And Ron says like, I'd love to see your parents. Yeah. It's so cute. Like it, it, it their friendship feels so genuine at this stage. Uh, and like, yeah, the fact that that's his first reaction and like, uh, yeah, it's, um, and, and, and again, all the Christmas stuff, like there's, such a good sense of character development here uh, for these two that I, at least from what I remember, gets very, very strained as the books go on. And it's really nice to have this sort of like crystallized, like here's just like two really good friends interacting and like not, not talking to each other for weird, dumb reasons that'll happen later. And like all that drama that comes up is it, made me think about and and like uh you know think think i brought this up a few times i think we both have but the way that the movies have sort of like steamrolled a lot of the books for people in terms of like what they remember and like how they view the characters mm-hmm. and i think the first movie and this isn't uh, this isn't a criticism of rupert grin i actually think he was a really good choice to act but the script reduces him to comic relief so much where in here he's he is a character he has his own thoughts and feelings he you know he has a inferiority complex that's very understandable for like you know this youngest sibling um the the interplay between him as someone from a huge family with harry who has no family and like them sort of providing those experiences for you know to each other is very meaningful um and that's really something that i had forgotten (laughs) over time uh watching the films and 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 moving further away from the books yeah um yeah i I agree completely and um like I, i guess there are still those scenes in the movie that are some of my like favorite scenes in the book, like when Ron teaches Harry to play chess. And, um, but I, I think there's a video essay and I wish I knew what it was called, but hopefully we can link it on the Twitter. Um, that's about how, um, Ron's character is kind of taken away and given to either Hermione or Harry to fulfill. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I, I just think his, his character is kind of reduced. Whereas here um, he's like, he really helps Harry like join the wizarding world in a way that feels like so like a, a genuine friendship. Um, when Harry goes and sees the mirror and he's, he's keeps going back. Um, and I think this is after he brings Ron to go see it. He sa- he says, Ron says to Harry, like, I've got kind of a bad feeling about this. Um, because Ron is, is more used to magic kind of is, is the feeling I got. And I'm just, right. it was just like a good, a good moment for Ron where it's like, he grew up with this stuff and grew up with weird things going on and is going to have this kind of instinct for what's, you know, real or not, or, or what's, you know, I, I think he says like, it might be dark magic. And I, I don't think it like ends up being dark magic, but he's, you know, worried about his friend and what is a pretty sweet moment. And, and there's the great exchange between him and Harry when that's going on, where Harry says, you sound like Hermione, which I think is a really like a very like fun line because you know Hermione's away for Christmas and like Ron sort of fulfilling the worrywart role um, Uh for Harry is very sweet uh yeah I I um I really appreciate Ron I think is the best way to put it in this is I, I I really appreciate how he comes off in this chapter yeah um and I think and correct me if I'm wrong. This is this chapter is the first. Um, like Harry has a conversation with Dumbledore, right? Yes, totally. Yes, this is uh, <laughs> the this is the first chapter I think where we see the Dumbledore that everyone knows and loves. I think because up until this point, he's just sort of been aloof and crazy. Uh, you know, he uh, he gave that he, what's it oink oink ointment bubble tweak speech uh and like told yeah and like told the teachers to report to their common rooms when the troll came but yeah he hasn't had a heart to heart with harry until this scene um and i think it's very uh it's a very very nice touching scene um and i i i love that he's not angry at harry like he's just there for him uh clearly understanding like why the mirror would be so interesting to him um yeah it's it's like the first time we see like oh this is the this is why everyone remembers Dumbledore is like this very wise gentle man is because here he is you know being there for someone yeah and he uh starts his tradition of um just the dispensing the moral lesson in one sentence right like like he says it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Remember that. And that's kind of, that's the lesson of the chapter. Yes. Um, I, in reading this, I was thinking about the documentaries that we watched um, from last week. Um, And when JK Rowling described what her books were about, I think she might've been just describing this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was like, yeah, this seems like that vision to me. And I um, I really feel for her. And I think that this being written after her the loss of her mother really comes through. And it feels just really genuine and, and authentic. And um, it's just really quite good. This feels like really good creative processing through some really strong emotions. Yeah. So good on um, her. 
yeah, I, I, I love this chapter. The I think before we move on to the other piece of bread in our Quidditch sandwich, uh, I would like to point out that uh, I'm I'm putting another point on the board for I don't think that she had the Deathly Hallows planned out at this point. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> because Harry opens the invisibility cloak and the first thing Ron says is that he recognizes it and that they're really cool and rare. Yeah, so we have we have encountered the first of the Deathly Hallows in this yes. chapter, I guess. Um, I hate it. I hate, <laughs> I hate to read this and be like, oh, Harry received a Deathly Hallow. Um, this stuff has all been explained in the extended lore, right? Like, I, I want to make very clear that I'm say- not saying this is a plot hole. I don't care about plot holes mm-hmm. at all. Um, it, it, you know, I could say, you know, this is a plot hole because Ron recognizes the cloak. And um, that's all been explained because the cloaks, you know, the, the Deathly Hallow is the best invisibility cloak. And there have been mass produced invisibility cloaks and they're made from the hair of some weird creature. Um, and they the, stop yeah. working over time if they aren't the like original cloak. Uh, yeah, just, that's don't care yeah it, it's, it just it's <laughs> yeah it's not that it's a plot hole it's just that it's honestly i i'm more mad thinking about it now because it's like ruining <laughs> like retroactively ruining this very beautiful story by planting dumb clues in it i guess or or claiming to have planted dumb clues in it i don't know yeah it's um you know harry gets a gift from his dad you know, like he, he gets this gift that was something that was his dad's who he never knew. Um, and it like is very emotionally resonant in this scene. It becomes less emotionally resonant to me when I find out that it is a mythical object that was the passed Grim Reaper down. Yeah, that was yes to hide hide from death and is one third of the way to becoming the master of death that's just not very cool to me yeah it's 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 kind of i don't know i i I don't know if uh was it like dissecting the wings of the butterfly or whatever is the right phrase here but it just it it just uh i i just let let well enough alone it's 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 a great chapter um and I don't think it needed to be like the source of this broader uh, MacGuffin story. Yeah, um, I, I, I guess I can understand the like fun feeling of when clues pay off, and I think this is not that. Like that doesn't work for me here. Um, no, someone could disagree with that, and I think that's fine um i guess while we're talking about the deathly hallows um i'm gonna back up back into quidditch because you reminded me oh, that, no. that, that that the snitch that harry like coughed up in the first quidditch match is the vessel that dumbledore used to hide the resurrection stone in yes which this idea of like Dumbledore walking onto the pitch and like going like ah I will take this for later um is so <laughs> fucking funny to me like yeah it's yeah. 
so like we haven't encountered all like two of the deathly hallows yet because technically the snitch is just like the vessel um but we got like lots of deathly hallow content really kind of rapid fire in these chapters um was it from the wiki where it describes dumbledore's like chain of assuming how harry is going to end up with the resurrection yes. stone in yeah, maybe like, the most bizarre yeah like, it's, series of things that had to have happened and things that dumbledore would have had to assume to get to this point where he yeah, puts like kiss the snitch twice i assume that harry will definitely kiss the snitch twice to get the resurrection stone out of it yeah it's like yeah he would have to and like this isn't written as a criticism on the wiki this is just presented as fact like uh yeah he assumed that he would need the snitch uh he assumed that he could put something in it he assumed that he would be able to give it to harry when he died uh and the he would assumed that uh harry would put his mouth on it as we all do to any <laughs> gifts we get first thing i i do when i receive something from a will is to put my mouth on it, like, give, it give it a big smooch give it just a big old kiss just like um, when he puts his mouth on it in this quidditch chapter he puts his mouth all over it in this one like, is this supposed to be like an aha like is that what i'm supposed to get when i read because i didn't again didn't remember this at all is this supposed to be like an aha moment like totally. oh i remember that snitch um absolutely and I think about, I mean, I also, we talked about this. We think the Resurrection Stone is the dumbest of the Deathly Hallows. Um, why wasn't it the Philosopher's Stone? And and before anyone tries to come at me about this, yes, I know that the Philosopher's Stone does not resurrect you. Um, however, if you're really going for that aha moment and the like, Go back to where you began. It should have been the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I agree. Like, it will also, like, the resurrection, like, the Deathly Hallows, you know, Invisibility Cloak turns you invisible. Done. Got it. Really cool. Elder Wand. It's a really good wand, I guess. Cool. Uh, sure. Resurrection Stone. Uh, if you turn it around three times, you can see a ghost. Like... <laughs> which ghosts already exist in harry potter and i mean we we we, we have so much to get into vis-a-vis this but like the nature of death in harry potter and how little sense it makes uh once you get out of the first book like we're gonna see ghosts coming out of wands we're gonna see i mean we've already seen normal ghosts there are paintings of dead people that like seem to have some aspect of their personality we have the resurrection stone ghost it's like I, I to loop this all back around into the mirror of Erised, the, the the reason this chapter works so well is because yes, there are ghosts and stuff in Harry Potter, but you don't really think about that reading this chapter because the emotion Harry is feeling seeing his parents in this mirror and like not even interacting with them, just seeing them is enough to make a very compelling story. Like, he's going to see the ghosts of his parents more as the series goes on and they will talk to him and interact with him. And every one of those scenes I think is a complete failure compared to this really simple one where he just sees them like for the first time. Yeah. I think that 
I'm fine with a lot of um, the, like the way the magic works in Harry Potter, not making a whole lot of sense or um, because I don't, I don't think that because the book isn't really about that, but in right. a series that is, is ostensibly about death, should probably yeah. have like follow some rules about the way death works or make it. Yeah. Especially, especially when the vil- the villain's goal is to become immortal, which seems pretty damn doable if there's a philosopher's stone and ghosts and yeah it's this chapter is beautiful uh and it it retroactively makes me remember remember how muddled that stuff gets in future yeah speaking of immortality we have another chapter here yeah we have got chapter 13 nicholas flamel and when i was looking ahead at what we were reading I read the the like name of the chapter and I was like, surely there's not going to be Quidditch in here, but boy, is there. Oh yes. Um, so a lot happens in this chapter, actually. Like this is, this is a big like plot chapter. Yeah. Um, Which I guess makes what, sense after Mirror of Erised had like no plot movement, really. It was more of like a bottle story. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'm going to rewind real quick to Mirror of Arised because um, there was this this part where Harry was going and seeing his parents and and he was he there's like this passage where he's like he doesn't care about Nicholas Flamel he doesn't care about the stone he doesn't care about anything um, and I thought that was great and Dumbledore tells him to move on so this chapter yeah. is perfect because it's like okay we've moved on we care about this stuff again <laughs> right yeah um, so it starts out and um, they're getting ready for their match against Hufflepuff and. Uh, and Harry finds out that the the referee is going to be Snape, who we think is trying to kill Harry. It's it's very good. It's I love the exchange between uh, between them at breakfast where Hermione says, "Don't or is it uh, don't play?" said Hermione at once. "Say you're ill," said Ron. "Pretend to break your leg," Hermione suggested. "Really break your leg," said Ron. <laughs> They're so funny. And and this is like, we're back to the jokes that I find are funny. Yes. Yeah. Or yeah. No more Angelina Johnson, weird shit. Just good, good jokes. Yeah. Um, the Quidditch match. Oh, actually, before we get to the Quidditch match, there's this scene before that where um, Neville like comes into the common room after being bullied and leg locked by Malfoy. And it made me realize how much of an arc Neville has in this book that I forgot completely. Like Neville is around and is friends with them and things happen to him and he develops. Um, Again, I like bringing up the movie again. uh, I don't feel like Neville was really like around other than just kind of like um, a joke as a joke and um as like a function of having harry harry's story kind of move along because it's like he gets to stand up for neville but we don't really know anything about neville and then that scene at the end where neville you know stands up to his friends has no payoff in the movie because like who's this guy um but in this um he like Ron stands up for Neville a lot when he's getting bullied. And so does Harry. Um, In this scene, he kind of like stumbles through the, you know, the door and has been leg locked and um, everyone laughs at him, which is sad. Um, 
but Harry and Ron like go to help him and ask what happened and you know Malfoy attacked him or whatever Mm -hmm. um so so like stuff stuff happens to him and he has agency in this story which surprised me yeah I had also completely forgotten how active he was in like as character in in this story because he was in the um the midnight duel as well right like yeah yeah he spends a lot of time with with them uh um and i think that um in the first quidditch chapter we see him being worried about harry it's it describes him as sobbing into hagrid's coat that's right yeah which is funny but also like an actual character moment yeah um so like Neville's Quidditch time character moment in this one is that he's um, standing up to Malfoy. I'm getting the Quidditch mixed up, aren't I? What? Uh, okay. No, in I'm this... not because Ron is like watching Harry because he's worried that that someone's going to attack him, right? Yes, and and he gets in a fight with Malfoy when yeah this is the one where where ron gets in a fight uh and harry catches the snitch mercifully catches the snitch within like two pages right which is another place where like quidditch gets roasted again um also i find very realistic that people that have went out of their way to go see a quidditch match are happy that it's over in five minutes (laughs) yeah i guess they just want to win they don't care about like the game i guess so um I want to know if there's been ever been like a Quidditch World Cup where this happens, like it ends in five minutes and how the people like, I assume that this is, I mean, the Quidditch World Cup is comparable to like the World Cup, right? Um, yeah. What is it like to buy tickets to go see the World Cup and then have the game end in five minutes? Well, I guess it's got to be like those like, uh, you know, like boxing pay-per-views or whatever, where the guy goes like gets knocked out immediately, and you've just paid two hundred bucks or whatever to watch it. Like, damn, do you get a refund? Yeah, yeah, nope. Um, <laughs> um so that's pretty funny. Um, but uh, this has a really cute moment because like Ron's really busy like watching to make sure Harry doesn't get knocked off his broom, and Malfoy comes to like bother neville and neville like recycles the line that harry says to him because harry's like you're worth 12 of malfoy and then neville says to malfoy i'm worth 12 of you it's very cute um and and eventually malfoy like bothers them so much and starts insulting ron that they they turn around and have a classic sports brawl in the stands which is great uh um i i love that ron is so proud that he gave malfoy a black eye later on like <laughs> yeah like that's uh, that's his big uh his his good deed for the day yeah if i had to choose a quidditch chapter to like the most it's this one because the game doesn't matter at all because it ends in five minutes and uh the focus is entirely on all the stuff that happens around and at the game speaking of like okay you were asking before like did the did the teachers investigate the the first match um like what i find funny here is that the kids were not wrong thinking that snape would heavily favor slytherin like he he absolutely does in like in a really comical way that just makes me wonder like is this just how quidditch, like quidditch is just like this weird political like game of politics where you try and get your ref on the field or like your announcer in the stands like is this just how it is or or did no one notice or 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a school thing, like this is happening because it's a school game, or if that's a um, a thing that plagues professional Quidditch as well, or is part of the game. But the implication is that Snape was asked to referee, or 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 himself asked to referee to keep a better eye on Harry's safety, right? right. Like that's yeah. the yeah. He has he's good at magic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Seeing Snape on a broom sounds really funny. Like, I can't, I just can't picture that. Uh, well, we know Snape can fly without a broom. Oh, fuck, that's right. <laughs> just, uh, just another movie, uh, movie tip for you. I, I did like a double take when I read this on the wiki, because it was like, there are only two wizards that can fly without a broom, and it's Voldemort and Snape. <laughs> because <laughs> he apparently like taught snape his like super secret flying technique where he turns into like scary looking smoke and zooms around yeah he um, turns into the monster from lost <laughs> i'm not familiar with lost is it a smoke monster oh yeah oh okay well there's our okay adding another thing to the pile we're going to roast lost when we're done with harry potter <laughs> uh that seems like it won't won't be as difficult as this <laughs> yeah um, um but yeah yeah i just like the the image of snape riding a broom i completely forgotten that he was refing this uh because like, i don't think this is in the movies or anything i think they condense into one game uh yeah thank god but yeah. boy is it a game i'm really looking forward to the quidditch scenes in the movie oh yeah um, um I guess after this, uh, Harry follows Snape and catches half of a conversation in another clever little uh, red herring scene. Yeah. Um, so this this really felt like the Quidditch game was there to get Harry to be outside when this was happening because Snape confronts Quirrell in the Forbidden Forest and Harry is very sneaky and lands on a tree above them and hears like bits and pieces of their conversation which to him confirms that Snape is trying to get the stone but we know now that um, you know Snape is asking Coral you know to knock it off yeah um, you you mentioned this and I, I had not really thought about it but the he uses the line hocus pocus which is is an interesting, uh, uh, cute little like a real a real world phrase that I uh, I'd not I I completely forgotten was used and I was not expecting uh, as like yeah I, I assume just like a here's like a derogatory like dim diminutive way to talk about someone's magic uh, in this world which I thought was cute yeah I I thought that was really cute um, I wonder if this is like a, a snape thing because snape says it to quarrel to like insult his like presumably his magic that was trying to get harry off of his broom and he calls it his, his little hocus pocus and i and i wonder if it's um something that is used widely in the wizard world to be derogatory is like a muggle like phrase or if it's something that like snape picked up from being a, a like half blood um mm -hmm. So I, I liked that. Um, I ended up looking up um, what, like, where Hocus Pocus came from. Um, and it turns out, like, no one really knows, but the, like, popular conjectures of where it came from, and this doesn't matter at all to this scene, but I did think it was cute, mm -hmm. um, 
is that it's um, possibly like dog Latin making fun of um, the Catholic Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was possibly um, a reference to a folkloric Norse magician, Ocus Bocus. <laughs> it's a great name. Um, or it's just nonsense words, which yeah, you know, it's it's uh, yeah, it's just it's just fun seeing. Because, like, you know, Avada Kedavra is clearly, like, an abracadabra play. Um, it's fun seeing, like, the the really recognizable real-world things kind of leak into Harry Potter. I, I always found that fun. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought this was a cute moment. Um, I still really like Snape. Yes. Uh, in this book, like, uh, he's he's mean, but he's not the worst yet. <laughs> It's it's funny because he's written in such a dramatic kind of like he he really like the the like his word choice and his uh, his tone in this, these books. He really comes off like a diva to me, like very pretentious. And like, I mean, I, uh-huh. I, I read this and I think, OK, even though he was completely the wrong age to play Snape, I totally see why they immediately thought, OK, Alan Rickman. Cause like, oh, yeah, for sure. Because, like, the sense of drama in every Snape line is so heightened and, and over the top. Yeah. So, yeah, so I really like this a lot. Um, I don't have a whole lot else to say about this chapter because this really is just a moving the plot forward chapter with some with a dash of Quidditch in it. Yeah, I... Yeah, it's... It, it, it moves things along. Um, they know who Nicholas Flamel is now. Uh, and I do really like the closing lines. So you mean the stone's only safe as long as Quirrell stands up to state? Snape, said Hermione in alarm. It'll be gone by next Tuesday, said Ron. <laughs> They're so funny. They are really funny. Like this book, I've laughed a lot reading this book, uh, genuinely. And it's it's yeah. been fun. Yeah, me too. Um Miravera said definitely the highlight this week for me. I th- I still I'm standing by. I think it's going to be the highlight of the whole book. Yeah, it's it's a really it it it, it exemplifies everything. Honestly, it it's like a a really good uh example of like where most of my criticism of the series comes from, which is that um sometimes you don't need to fill everything in uh sometimes like just the emotion of a story is the important part and is enough and i i like this chapter is directly after a chapter that just like throws quidditch details at you uh Mm -hmm. it sucks and then you get this really nice chapter that's like very human and 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 it's yeah i i think it's great yeah all right well that wraps up our chapters for this week um i have a very exciting uh, lore game for you I think after <laughs> our break <laughs> looking forward to it and when we come back we're going to get a better look at the Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone Dumbledore Hello, and welcome back to Shrieking Shack. Hello. Uh, are you ready to play a game? 
I am always ready to play a game. Perfect. I will not make any excuses for this game because really I I read just this great um, JK Rowling feature on Pottermore. And this is really just an excuse because I want to tell you all about it, but I've turned it into a game. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so I know that in the, in the books and movies, McGonagall, you know, is old and hot, but there was a time <laughs> when she was young and hot. So this okay. is, this is the McGonagall young and hot quiz. Um, oh, good. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you just some, some little lore, lore bits, and you have to tell me if it is McGonagall or not. So it's basically a true or false quiz. Okay. All right. Are you ready for your first one? I, so by the way, when you said that the object here was just to share this funny Pottermore article, I think what you really meant is this was a, a opportunity to roast me for an entire segment. Uh, it serves dual purposes, I would <laughs> say. Okay. I'm ready. All right. This first one could either be easy or difficult, depending on how much you know about British poetry. Do you know much about British poetry? Mm, I guess a little bit. Okay. This is kind of a meta question, but it's just, it was too good to leave out. McGonagall's last name is taken from William McGonagall, who is celebrated as the worst poet in British history, true or false? Wow. Celebrated as the worst, huh? Uh-huh. I, I, that's gotta be true, right? That seems like the kind of thing... <laughs> for name inspiration? Sure, yeah. yeah. Yep, that one's true. Um, <laughs> that one is at the very end, and, and obviously this isn't really a lore question, although it is very funny to me because she says, like, she finds the idea very funny that such a stern, like, smart woman could be descended from someone who was, like, the worst poet ever. Oh, wait, oh, it's like she is actually his family? Or... Okay. That's what I can't fit. I'm like, is that true? Like, is that... Is that the implication here? or Because it's not really like, oh, it would be funny to name her after someone from the real world who is a buffoon. It sounds like they're supposed to be, like, related. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, uh, I like it. Yeah. Okay, so I got kind of our meta question right out of the way. So you got that one. Okay. Um, my second one is, McGonagall was the first child of a wizard named Orford and a muggle named Ellen. Her younger, <laughs> her younger brother was a squib. True or false? Ah, uh, Orford. Orford. Orford, and what was the other one? Ellen. So Ellen. a wizard named Orford and a Muggle named Ellen. Ah. Uh, oh boy. Um, I don't have a particular I, I have no evidence but i always thought that mcgonagall was a pureblood for some reason hmm. so i orford her younger brother is a squib i'm gonna i think that's false i don't think she she her dad's name is orford <laughs> that that's the part that you 
that you don't think is true? Orford? I don't. I think Orford. And I think she would maybe mention the brother thing. I don't know. Okay. Well, you are right. It is false. Um, (laughs) I will say that I took Orford and Ellen. Those are Umbridge's parents. Oh. Um, Dolores and Orford? (laughs) Good names. (laughs) Um, However, the thing that you are wrong about is that McGonagall is a half-blood um, it was her dad that was a muggle who was a um, Scottish Presbyterian reverend, Robert oh. McGonagall, and his wife was Isabel Ross, who was a witch. And McGonagall had two younger brothers who were both wizards also. <laughs> um, oh, <boy. laughs> so, um, and, and the like backstory of her parents is that her her mom got married to this muggle and had a child with him and never told him that she was a witch. How does, how does this Presbyterian uh, reverend feel about uh, wizards existing? Uh, it makes it sound like the problem was that the, that she lied to him. Um, and the reason it all came out is because she wanted to name their daughter Minerva and that his parish kept asking him questions like that's a weird name why would you why would you name your daughter such a magical name oh my god are you serious Mm -hmm. that's the catalyst okay all right yeah and and like Isabel had to break down and tell him once Minerva started doing doing little magics (laughs) that's fantastic (laughs) And their trust was never restored. So that's the story of, of McGonagall's parents. Goodness. Are you ready for your next your next question? I am I am ready. In her youth, McGonagall would join her uncle Tiberius to hunt recreationally for nogtails. <laughs> oh no. Oh, I hate this. Do you want to know what a nogtail is? Yes. They're a demon-like creature resembling a stunted piglet, but with narrow black eyes, a thick stubby tail, and long legs. Oh. (laughs) So they're horrible pig monsters. It sounds like an evil dick dick. You know, like the little tiny deers with like the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it says demon-like, because I don't know if that's like... They look kind of like weird demon creatures... Or, or if they're just like they are, right? Like they could be. I don't. I don't know if there's like precedent for demons in Harry Potter. <laughs> um. Oh boy, Uncle Tiberius. I don't. I don't see McGonagall as a hunter. So She's much. very stern, though. Yeah. Which would come after a life of skinning animals and seeing living off seeing, the land. Living off the land. Um, I. Mm, oof. True. I think that's true. I'm sorry. It's false. 
Damn it. I have no. taken this from um, what very little we know about Rufus Scrimger's backstory. Oh, goodness. He used, to, he used to go hunt for nogtails. Um, how do you I think Tiberius. wizards hunt? Yeah, oh, yeah, because... Yeah, because I guess that killing curses are like a big deal, so you wouldn't you wouldn't use that. Um, right, and and Snape invented the sword spell, so you can't use that. Yeah, um, maybe they use bows and arrows. I mean, Gryffindor had a sword, right? That's true. Yeah, I guess they could use like a crossbow. Yeah. So yeah, maybe they. Do you, Gryffindor do you has think, a sword. Hufflepuff has a crossbow. Do you do you think that if you use a crossbow as a wizard, they have spells so you can like bend the bullets like in that movie Wanted? Hell yeah, they do. Yeah, that would be kick ass. <laughs> All right, are you okay. ready for your next one? Yes. While she was at Hogwarts, McGonagall was on the Quidditch team. Although a nasty fall in her final year left her with a concussion and several broken ribs and a lifelong desire to see Slytherin crushed on the Quidditch pitch. <laughs> oh, um, I'm going with my gut here. That's true. Hell that, yeah, it's true. Hell yeah. This is, you this know is the backstory I, explanation. I, I, you know what? I kind of like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I, I threw that one in because I know I know we've talked about McGonagall's um, passion for Quidditch in this book. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I'm yeah. That, go go McGonagall. That's wonderful. Okay, this next one's gonna be a doozy. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'm ready. McGonagall was briefly engaged to a Muggle farm boy named Dougal McGregor. Oh, who she God. then who she then left willingly to instead go work for the Ministry of Defense. <sighs> Dougal. Dougal. Okay, so Dougal is the name of a like character off of a British kids show called uh, the Magic Roundabout. I think is the name. And Dougal, oh. Dougal is this little floppy looking dog that has a huge <laughs> nose and like snuffles around. And that I don't think he cute. talks. It's pretty, the Ma magic roundabout is pretty wholesome. Uh, Dougal, whenever I hear Dougal, that's all I can think of is, is Dougal the dog. This little stop motion, this little stop motion dog. And so now I'm thinking, is this real? Because it's a reference to Dougal, or is it fake? Because it's because it's fucking Dougal, um, and that's Dougal. what I'm hung up on here. Dougal, sure, Albus Dumbledore, Dougal, um, Merit Ministry of Defense. <sighs> this is so stupid that I could see it being fake or real. Is the problem. <laughs> Um, Minerva McGonagall was gonna get married, but then she got a job offer from the CIA and told Dougal to fuck off. Um, they go be a cop instead of being with Dougal. <laughs> yeah, I'm. 
Okay. I think this is false, but it's someone else's backstory. <laughs> That's my guess. I can see why, because oh, it no. kind of sucks to think that McGonagall would leave her first love to go become a cop. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm sorry to inform you that it's true. Oh, no. <laughs> um, what? Dougal? Yeah, so after McGonagall graduated from Hogwarts, she so she would have been like 17 or 18, she got a job offer from the ministry to go work for the, the you know, the Ministry of Defense, and she went home for the summer before her job and met Dougal. <laughs> And fell in love, and they got engaged. Um, and so the story goes that um, she remembered how hard it was for her parents, and how they were never the same when you know her mom had to tell her dad that she was a witch. That she oh, she also did not tell Dougal that. Yeah, Dougal didn't know. Minerva, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know why this seems to happen a lot. Like I, I kind of. I scoured other backstories and it seems like they're, it just like happens all the time that they just keep it a secret. See, to me, I can't relate. Cause if I just imagine that, like if, if someone was, was like engaged with someone and then they said, they sat you down like, Hey, gotta let you know, I can do magic. Uh, I can fly. Uh, I can, I can, uh, turn stuff into animals for fun uh i can take you to see what a fucking uh dragon looks like i would be stoked right like this idea that like i don't know i guess it's just like too mind-blowing for the muggles to to comprehend that, that the that the wizarding world exists but like i i feel like i would be stoked if if that was real yeah for sure um, I'm like, I'm very confused reading this because I get confused about the statute of secrecy. Like, like, are you not allowed to tell someone who you're like dating if they're a muggle? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but the, like the implication is that, um, she had to choose, like she could either marry this muggle farm boy who was looking forward to, um, inheriting his farm and she would have to like never do magic again. Yeah, that seems kind of out of character for her as well. Like, yeah, I think the in character part is that she chose magic, which yeah. you know, good. Um, yeah, agree. Choose magic over Dougal any day. Um, so sad for Dougal. Um, McGonagall went and was a cop for a little while. <laughs> so good uh, news, young hot McGonagall. Bad news, she's a cop. So what is it? Everyone in Harry Potter. Uh, gets engaged at 17 and then becomes a cop that's what happens like, that yeah I, <laughs> I, I guess that's just how it is on this bitch of a nerd like even mcgonagall i couldn't believe it when i read that yeah that's uh that's disappointing <laughs> all right well I thought she was just like a cool librarian or like a like sports enthusiast or like a scholar or something and not a why she got to be a cop well if it makes you feel any better she wasn't a cop for very long that's good um are you ready for your next question absolutely mcgonagall never having moved on from her first love 
Dougal McGregor was never married. True or false? Uh, boy. I'm going to go with true just because uh, marriage and love seems to be like a one and done deal in Harry Potter and no one ever uh, has another significant other or <laughs> gets divorced or I yeah, I'm going to go with true. I'm wondering if this might be the ca- the only case where that's not the case because what, it's actually really? false. No way. Okay. Who who uh who did she marry? Okay. Uh she married her old boss from the Ministry of Defense. His oh. name was his name was Elphinstone Urquhart. N- no. What? Oh she- yeah. What? Um, uh, in the okay. reading, <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, I... so the story goes when she went and worked for the Ministry of Defense, she had a quote much older boss who ah. uh, who she formed a, a friendship with, and and um, I think like I couldn't find numbers, and I I um. Like, but I I don't know when he was like I don't know how much older, um. But he was like the 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 big boss, and I feel like the implication is like when they formed their friendship, she was eighteen because she was right out of school, and he was like forty, mm-hmm. like forty Boy. to fifty years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, great. Okay, hey, hey, this is I guess this is there are now two running themes. You either you're either you know engaged at 17 and marry your your one true love right out of school or uh i like charlie this is another charlie weasley situation isn't it where (laughs) where you you get a job uh and and marry uh your boss which is fucked up um wow (laughs) um to be fair uh they got married much later um, okay. And I guess this will lead us into our final question. Oh boy. Okay. All right. I'm my world is being rocked. Okay. Uh, by... After we do this one and see see how you did on our game, I will I will tell I will tell the whole story. Okay. True or false? Elphinstone Urquhart died an accidental death from a venomous tentacular bite after five years of marriage. True. I'm just, I just, <laughs> totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. I thought this one might throw you off because he's, I don't, I guess I can't, I don't like, why would he be with a venom? I don't know if venomous tentaculas are like common. Like, is this a common household pest? But yeah, this is true. Um, <laughs> so with that being our final question, um, the story of their marriage is that um, this guy, this old guy, kept proposing to her for years and years, like after they worked together, right? And she kept telling him no because she was still in love with Dougal, right? Like she never got closure on her first love, Dougal. Oh, no. Until um, about, I think like... 
five to ten years before the first book takes place, um, Dougal is brutally murdered. Him and his whole family are murdered by Death Eaters, which finally grants McGonagall closure for what? some reason. And so when Elphinstone fin- like proposes to her, she finally says yes. They're married, they get a house in Hogsmeade, and he dies five years later of a this spider, is a, right? This is a, like... This is a Coen Brothers movie. Like, this is... <laughs> that is... That's so fucked up. Like, on every level. Like, oh my god. Yeah. So you're so, saying that, like, like, like not... She is not uh, far off from her, her husband dying uh, when the, the book starts. In right. fact, wait, her husband would be... A, in, in the... This... Okay, hang on a second. This would mean <laughs> that... Uh, when um, when McGonagall and Dumbledore are hanging out in Privet Drive, is she going back home to her husband who's going to die pretty soon? That- I'm really fuzzy on the timeline because I think I would have to like reverse engineer all this stuff. Okay, because that was like, t- that would be 11 years. Uh, yeah, because, said- because Dougal was killed by Death Eaters in the first, like, Voldemort War, right? Right. Yeah. And so, so then yes. she got married. So, okay. So maybe she was just, it was just sort of, like, one of those, like, well, we're all gonna die. Sure, I'll get married to you. Which is already, like, pretty dark. I, I, I think that, I think that the Sorcerer's Stone starts about five years after, um after he dies so so yeah I, I think that he might she might be going back to to elfinstone to to urquhart elfinstone after, elfinstone urquhart elfinstone urquhart after after a meaningful chat with dumbledore yeah Whew, that's uh so you kept telling me that, that this was wild and that i wasn't going to be ready and you were completely right yeah, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure if this game would be like difficult or, or fun, but I really didn't care because I just, I just needed to talk about this. It's uh, really something. I did not know any of this and I don't like it. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like it, it was a wild, it was a wild ride. Um, the other one, Albus Dumbledore, um, taught McGonagall to become an animagus by the way okay I mean, yeah. just just a little a little aside that part uh, you know that part I, I'm not uh, I'm not super uh, no that, that makes sense um, less into Dougal and uh, her weird boss that wants keeps wanting to marry her uh, yeah that's, uh, don't know if I I'm glad that one's not in the books I guess is what I'll say there yeah I also didn't know how to work this in but um the reason that she didn't work at the um the Ministry of Defense for very long uh is because they were like super duper anti-muggle and she couldn't stand it because her her uh dad was a muggle and because of poor Dougal And and Dougal don't forget Dougal don't forget Dougal um, 
Dougal McGregor. <laughs> Dougal McGregor. I, I feel bad. Like, I can't believe Dougal had to be, Dougal and his wife and kids had to be brutally murdered. Yeah. Why? Just in an anti-muggle attack by Voldemort and company. Oh. That's. Yeah. So that's how I know that this was written after Deathly Hallows, because I don't think we ever get the sense that Voldemort was like attacking muggles, you know, in wanton fashion uh, before the book suddenly started getting way darker. Yeah, uh, that that theme seemed to enter in a bit later, because at this point, he sure is just a guy that's trying to like drink unicorn blood and get the the sorcerer's stone. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that was a roller coaster. I, I I did not know what to expect. It was definitely not any of that. Yeah, I, I didn't even tally up your score. I was just so excited to get to Elphinstone. Let me see here. So you got the first one right. You got the second one right. So you're two. God, didn't do that one. Three. You did very well. I did screw up a couple, so I'm not... I'm not perfect McGonagall expert. I'm not an S-rank McGonagall uh, fan. but No, uh, but I think you're five out of seven. Okay, all right. And, all right. Uh, the last one's worth two, so that's six out of seven. Oh, yeah, perfect. So, well done. That's a that's an A. Hell yeah. Uh, and earned a rare smile from Professor McGonagall, just like Hermione. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so now we know way more than we ever wanted to about McGonagall. Yeah, more more than we ever wanted to, or yeah, hmm. um, <laughs> needed to. Or there is a very—I didn't take it down, but on, on this page, if anyone wants to go find it, um, there is a little sample from the worst British poet um, on the page, which is actually pretty funny. That's like that him, sounds pretty blessed. Him writing like a weird little poem about a horrible train accident, and it's like very rhymy and funny. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think next week, if anyone's reading along, uh, we're reading chapter fourteen, which is the Norbert chapter, um, which is another thing I totally forgot about. And then we're also reading chapter fifteen, which is the Forbidden Forest. Hell yeah! So we're getting dragons and unicorns next week, which I'm actually pretty stoked about. Yeah um and if you are enjoying the show if you could please leave us a uh, review uh on itunes it would mean a lot to us uh the show is starting to snowball and we're getting some very very nice reviews the more you add the easier it is for people to see in itunes i guess i'm not sure how that works but that's that's what i've been told um and uh if you are reading along with us we definitely appreciate that but i think it is very important to broaden your horizons a little bit which you could do by reading another book please read another book please read another book SA0025 Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Albus Dumbledore.